Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, we continue our look at deep dives into key states as we get closer to the election. If you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's deep dive about Ohio with David Pepper and Chris Gibbs, it's worth it. Check it out. Today, we go from Ohio up to Michigan. Joining us to talk about Michigan today and what's going on there are my old friend, Amy Chapman, who... Uh, Managed some races where I was doing the strategy TV with a little partner. Always uh, someone I look to for what the hell's going on in Michigan. And Jeff Timmer, who, among other things, a former Republican, but a senior political advisor to the Lincoln Project, as as am I. And uh, they come from two different views, I mean, in terms of backgrounds. And we think it's going to be a really good show uh, to get their take. So I thought it was a great time to have them on. Alex, where should we get started? Well, Amy, Jeff, we got three big races this year. Actually, more I want you to tell our listeners about them. But why don't we start with with the big statewides? Obviously, we got uh, Gretchen Whitmer against Tudor Dixon for governor, Jocelyn Benson versus Christina Caramo for secretary of state, and Dana Nessel versus Matt Perno for attorney general. Interesting because there's three Democratic women all on the ballot as incumbents this year. But overall, what, what's the vibe there right now, guys? Jeff, you want to start off or do you want me to? <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, I would just say, you know, the, the Republicans have put up a field of crazy, crazier and craziest at those three races. And they have been not only uh, running just awful campaigns with no money, um, but they've really, I think, been seemingly tone deaf in the things that the Republicans have chosen to talk about, while on the flip side, the three Democrat incumbents have run, I think, really spectacular campaigns. Um, Whitmer's campaign has been one, I think, the gold standard for Republican or for excuse me, for, for I don't mean to besmirch her there, Democrats across the country um, to, to emulate uh, really, I think, has her fingers on the pulse of how to message and conduct a campaign in a key purple state. And uh, Jocelyn Benson and Dana Nessel, the other two incumbents, have just raised extraordinary amounts of money for down ballot races uh, um, when measured against historical competitors. All that being said, the Republicans are still in these races and could still win any of them. And it's really scary because they've had really no money in just awful campaigns. And yet somehow <laughs> the, the polarized electorate uh, is, is holding them in there. If you look at the CBS uh, YouGov poll from over the weekend, it shows Tudor Dixon is only five or six points behind Gretchen Whitmer. And all the evidence would say she should be like, you know, 50 points behind. Uh, so that's the state of the race from my perspective. I mean, in, in looking at this and looking at some of the polling, um, I honestly don't believe the polling that shows 10, per, you know, double digit on these races. It just that's just not where Michigan is right now. You know, and it's certainly not where they usually wind up in these races, which is a lot closer. And um, I think it is scary that, you know, it's hard to imagine any of these Republicans are going to get less than 45 percent. I mean, anything could happen, but it just it's frightening that because honestly, the three uh, Democratic statewides have been outspending folks significantly. But um, Republican based voters are really into crazy. And Trump was in town. He brought the My Pillow guy, brought Marjorie Taylor Greene. And honestly, pre-Dobbs, I would say the um, 
I would say the enthusiasm was more on the Republican side, which is, I think, why these races have stayed as close as they are. No, it depends on any given day. I mean, you've got, you know, at the top of the ticket, there's Tudor Dixon, who is the least qualified candidate who's ever been on a ticket in Michigan for either party. And I mean, her claim to fame really is softcore vampire porn. And she's she is out running a an aggressive, low budget campaign for school board. She just happens to be running for governor. She's not she doesn't get as many, much attention and she's not as belligerently confrontational as, say, a Carrie Lake or a Doug Mastriano. But she's every bit as loony when it comes to her uh, denial of the 2020 election. Um, her uh, just outright assault on things uh, like uh, LGBT people, uh, marriage, uh, kids. It really is a culture fest war that she's running there. Christina Caramo, you know, she's spent a whole lot of time talking about things like Satanism and demonic possession transferred through uh, unmarried sex. So you can judge where she falls on the crazy scale. Matt DiPerno, uh, is is very much like a Mike Lindell when it comes to the 2020 election. I mean, he's just off the charts in terms of his crazy, but he's also facing criminal indictment. I mean, he's more likely to lose his law license and spend time in prison if he's elected attorney general. And that's just unprecedented uh, for a somebody running for the top law enforcement position in the state. So you know, I don't know which one is crazier, which one is craziest, and which one is just crazy. They're all three really, really outside the norm. But this is, you know, this is the state of the Republican Party in the state. I mean, even early on when it was going to be considered a better year for Republicans, they still didn't get very many candidates who would have been ultimately qualified to run against these three. And this is what they came up with. So, Amy, why is Whitmer further ahead. I know you said about the polls, but why is she further ahead? Than- well, I mean, I think that she also has a larger profile than the other two incumbents, given, you know, some of the unfortunate things that happened where they're like being a part of, you know, the object of at this point, two kidnapping attempts by the right wing. So she really has more of a national profile than the other two candidates do. So I think that's part of it. The other part is like, I don't think that Gretchen is that much further ahead than the other two candidates. I mean, even in some of the more recent polls, I mean, she's kind of around 50%. I mean, the one that Jeff referred to, she was at 53, which I think is probably a ceiling at this point. Um, and then uh, Jocelyn and Dana, AG and Secretary of State were like 46, 47. So I think she is further ahead, but I think it's more from the unfortunate notoriety she got from what was going on. I think that is probably most of it, plus the fact that Dixon is probably a little bit better known than the other two because there's actually a primary on the Republican side versus for the other two races where it's um, party nominating conventions and they don't have to go through a primary. What strikes me is how crazy it is that there's no Senate race in, in Michigan, but how this the, these three races may be among the most important collectively to saving democracy, I mean, to protecting it. I mean, because you have, if the governor's not, not Whitmer, if the secretary of state isn't Jocelyn uh, Benson, you know, if you, if you have the, the real crazy AG candidate, uh, if any one of those three are gone or, you know, it, it creates a, a, I guess I want your take on that. What, you know, it, it isn't among all the states out there, I can't think of a place where any one thing happens and 
you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen in 2024 in terms of how the election goes. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that way? Michigan is more purple than 2020 indicates. So, you know, Biden won by 154,000 votes after Trump had won four years earlier by 10,000 votes. Michigan is, is very much like Pennsylvania, very much like Wisconsin, and it could be very close, could go either way uh, in, in any given election based on a variety of factors. And it really could come down to a case where we've got election deniers in any of these key positions uh, in, in 2024, which could upset uh, the prospect of a free and fair election in, in this state. I mean, it's not just in Michigan, it's in, in states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona, where the same thing could happen. And all it takes is, even if, if Gretchen Whitmer is reelected, but somehow Christina Caramo manages to become Secretary of State, we could have an impasse where uh, on no election day in 2020, or when it comes time to certify Michigan's electoral votes, you have the governor signing off on one piece of paper and the secretary of state signing off on another. Uh, and then, you know, everything becomes chaos. But I mean, I'm glad that you guys are bringing up these other races, because quite honestly, um, this is the part where I sometimes bash national people. You know, in 2018, folks were like, oh, your governor's going to win big, so don't worry about those other races. And after 2020 and like the craziness that happened in 2020, I was like, can you imagine what would have happened here if people didn't focus on AG, if they didn't focus on secretary of state or on, frankly, winning a progressive majority on the state Supreme Court, which we were able to do in 2020? I mean, that stuff is insane. And, um, you know, it used to be, I guess it's not anymore because of how the Republican Party is. It used to be Republicans, you know, were really focused up and down the ballot and the Democrats were just about the shiny object at the top, whether it was just federal races or sometimes governors got to that shiny objectness. But hopefully we're in a place where, you know, folks realize up and down the ticket that this is incredibly important about attorneys general and secretaries of state, state Supreme Courts and other things. So I hope we're at that place now. You're you're singing Joe's tune right now, Amy. Before before we get to some of those down ballot races, I I, I want both of your takes on this and, and, and Amy, start with you. This is one of the weirder ways that we got to a slate of statewide candidates I, I can ever remember, not just in Michigan, but but nationally, right? So Dixon won a primary, but like half the GOP candidates got thrown off the ballot, including some of the potential favorites. And then what I don't think a lot of people listening to this probably realize, Caramo and DiPerno never had to go through a, a true primary campaign process where the voters actually got to pick them because it was a nominating convention. And obviously, Joe and I have been helping Jocelyn Benson this cycle. And one of the things that kind of came out came out of that has been Karamo has been so completely off the rails, partially because she's never really had to be held to account by any swath of the electorate. So how do you see that playing out in terms of also the fact that Dixon probably wasn't the first choice necessarily? How does that affect enthusiasm this fall? I can't speak to Republicans because Jeff's the only even former Republican I speak to on a regular basis, so I can't speak to on that. But I, it makes it hard. And we also have a late primary in Michigan. It's an August primary. So on the Democratic side, the last couple of cycles, since literally the only non-federal statewide candidate that has an actual primary is the governor. Everything else is at party nominating conventions. 
um, the Democratic Party in the past, Republicans started this year in doing an endorsement convention, which is not binding, but it gives people a leg up six months in advance. Um, but, you know, it is not any um, secret that the initial candidate that the Republicans wanted statewide was a uh, former Detroit police chief, James Craig, Fox News darling. He was the guy in the big hat that wasn't uh, David Clark. Um, and um, But he had never run before. And I think this was sort of a, now we can get base voters from Democrats, but he had run such a terrible campaign, was pretty much grifted by so many Republican consultants, including folks to get signatures. You know, it's not just in terms of the governor's race, I mean, that five candidates didn't have the right signatures. I mean, some of the measures that Jeff referred to in terms of Republican measures that would have been on the ballot, whether it was charter school measures by the DeVosses or sort of a voter suppression ballot measure, all of them were supposed to have gotten enough signatures, but were also caught up in this um, forgery kind of ring. And so to me, that is the, um, the state of where the Republican Party is. Having said that, the state is incredibly polarized. There are people who would vote for, I think Jeff put on his podcast, you know, his pants would get, you know, more votes than people in the election. And I think that's sort of the sad state of business, but that's how people are nominated, but then they don't have, as you point out, they don't have the experience, they don't have the name recognition, they don't have the funding base. I think one other thing I do want to mention about that is I think a lot of folks were counting on um, resources to come in to uh, bolster them. But given that we also have a ballot measure on reproductive freedom, I think a lot of the resources, whether it was from the Catholic Church, the DeVosses, um, other things, Right to Life, other things, um, that they would have otherwise gotten have not been going to the Republican candidates. And um, I think that's been part of a challenge for them on fundraising. But I don't know if you think that's the right thing, Jeff, or not. Well, I, th I think that that the, the these selections of, of these three candidates show who's in charge of the Republican Party. And it's not the uh, any smart operatives or pragmatic people who look and say, who's an electable candidate, who can get the the broadest appeal in a November election, the inmates are running the asylum. It, it doesn't matter whether it's at the party convention that nominated the attorney general and secretary of state candidate. I mean, just picture the attendees at a Trump rally choosing the nominee, and that's what it effectively is. You know, it was like 2,000 of the craziest of the insiders, uh, you know, wearing their MAGA hats, selecting who the nominee is. You get what uh, you know, people that reflect that that type of, of voter. And in Tudor Dixon, uh, it really was a choice of nothing but mega candidates up and down uh, the, the five or six candidates. I can't even remember how many there were. Uh, they were all, there were four guys in Tudor Dixon. I mean, there's just, you know, different parts, but uh, they all reflected the same amount of craziness. It really, this reflects the Republican voters. They want this kind of crazy. They want these election deniers. They want people who are going to go out and uh, cheer on the racist comments made by the Tommy Tubervilles and, and people like that, that, that look at what Kanye West said and say, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. You're trying to silence, you know, his free speech. They, they accept this kind of thing. They, they relish in this kind of thing. They, they, they thrive on grievance. They thrive on, on fighting each other as much as they thrive on fighting Democrats. Actually, just one example to, to go to that. So our um, state party co-chair, Sean Maddox, who was like a January 6th person, new Michigan resident, uh, Pete Buttigieg, tweeted out something about electric vehicles. 
Okay, he's the transportation secretary. And she retweeted it with something that called him a weak little girl. Yeah, and he was trying to emasculate our our uh, our cars. Right. And, and, how many, and, and Jeff, so how many how many Republican elected officials um, spoke out against that? Exactly zero. That's what kind of gets me here is, you know, Jeff, you're talking about the inmates, you know, in charge of nominating, and then you, they've nominated these crazy, crazy er and craziest. And yet we're sitting here with maybe a five point lead in the governor's race. And, and what Amy says may be even closer for, for AG and secretary of state. And it, that's why it gets sort of uh, one thing we've been repeating over and over. And I agree with Amy on is look, folks, you got to stay in the booth. You, you don't just come in and vote for, you know, for governor, you know, you stay in the booth, vote for AG, vote for secretary of state, vote all the way down the ballot for the pro-democracy candidates, because these people are energized. I know there are plenty of people on, on the pro-democracy side uh, uh, that are energized too, but they're energized and, and they're voting for crazy. I mean, it's just the way it is. And in a state where if any of these, any one of these election deniers, uh, deniers uh, is in the AG's office, secretary of state or governor, it, it is a big blow to democracy moving forward into 2024. So I so sorry I took us off, but I, I really wanted to reinforce that point that Amy made. Stay in the booth all the way down to the to the the lowest level uh that, that you have in your in your precinct uh and make sure you continue to 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 vote for the pro democracy candidates this cycle, even if you're you're only dating Democrats uh for this cycle and hopefully maybe twenty twenty four, stay in the in the booth and, and, and vote. Uh, vote for Democrats and, and vote for the pro-democracy folks on your ballot. So I, I swear to our listeners that this was not a rehearsed segue, as you've probably heard. We don't really do that. But we've been talking about the down ballot stuff. So let's get into that, guys. We, we talked about the big three. We've talked about the abortion initiative, which could have serious impact in terms of turnout, which I want to get to in a minute. But what are the other races uh, on the House side or on the, on the state, state Supreme Court side that, that our listeners should know about? Well, I mean, we had um, Michigan lost one congressional district because of reapportionment. It just didn't grow as fast as other states. And then the, this is the first cycle that the lines were drawn by an independent redistricting commission. So we have on the congressional instead of by me, instead of by Jeff. <laughs> so it's definitely better, but um, than it would be if Jeff had drawn them. Uh, but they still skew Republican, even though they were an independent commission. But they're better. So on the congressional side, for folks who have an interest, it means that two incumbent Democrats, um, Dan Kildee and Alyssa Slotkin, have difficult races in the 7th and 8th District, the district out in Grand Rapids, um, which had been Peter Meyer, who stumbled over the th low threshold that you know Biden won the election, but pretty much nothing else. He lost his primary. That is likely to be a Democratic seat in Grand Rapids. And then... Um, uh, you know, potentially the Macomb district, although uh, likely not, is, a, is another sort of, I would say, tier three congressional race. So um, in order for Michigan to keep a majority of Democrats in Congress, um, they have to keep Dan, they have to keep Alyssa, and picking up um, the district in Grand Rapids is pretty critical because two Democrats were put in the same district earlier in a primary and uh, only one came out, obviously. So that's congressional. On the state Senate side, the state Senate districts are better. There is a pathway to majority. 
Democrats haven't had since the mid 80s when Jeff was like screwing around then. Um, the state house, um, there are folks who feel like that is, um, there is a chance for Democrats. And of course there's a chance, but I think it's less of a chance. And then the state Supreme Court, I think is the big race to keep in progressive hands. But Jeff, you wanna hop in? Well, I would say I was still in college when they took the Senate majority back in the mid eighties. I was screwing around, but not in politics. Uh, but I no, I think you summed it up well there. The uh, I think the, the 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 four congressional races you mentioned. The, the fourth one is uh, what's essentially Andy Levin's district in Macomb and parts of Oakland County. He vacated it to run in a safer Dem seat uh, against Haley Stevens in a primary and lost. If Gretchen Whitmer wins by a five or six point margin, like the up some of the polls show. I think that seat's very much in play. Um, John James has been anointed as the the congressman. He has he had two relatively close losses running for the U.S. Senate. He never managed to win the seat he's running in in either of those races. And if Gretchen Whitmer is winning by a significant margin, it means she's going to be winning that district. And I think that uh, there's a chance, chance, I wouldn't say that Carl Marlingo becomes the favorite there, but there's a chance uh, that that race could surprise people. The legislature is is going to be very, uh, it's, it's, it's the 10th in Michigan, uh, Michigan 10th. And, and I think the control of the legislature is going to largely hinge on how well whoever wins the governor's race does. If, if Gretchen Whitmer wins by a hair or loses, that means the Republicans are probably going to maintain control of the uh, probably both chambers in, in Lansing. If she wins again by a five plus margin, I think that we're in, in get into territory with these new maps. They're they're balanced enough that a five point plus win by Whitmer probably delivers Democratic majorities in in both chambers and gives her the ability to govern in her second term much more effectively than she has having to negotiate with this cast of clowns who've ruled the legislature during her term. So where do you where where should people look for early indications of what's going on in the state election night? Depends on how they announce it. I mean, Michigan, as, as you would know if you fly into Detroit, is in the eastern time zone. Uh, but there are four counties that are on the uh, Wisconsin border that are in central. And so sometimes so sometimes stations, you know, call things at eight. Sometimes they wait till nine and they say polls don't close until nine. So I think it depends on in that regard. Um, I think that a couple of things are in play. One is what the ultimate turnout winds up being in the state. So uh, latest things I've seen is like 4.3 million, maybe 4.4. Part of that will be based on also how many um, absentee ballots wind up being turned in. I mean, currently we're at like 1.6, 1.7 million that have been requested. Probably going to get to about 50% of the ultimate turnout is going to be um, absentee ballots or early vote. Um, be able to tell that from, I mean, Joe, I mean, you know this better than almost anyone I know, you know, sort of checking that out and seeing where they are in different parts of the state and different parts of voters. I think the other part that folks also need to start understanding is how the Democratic vote share is is moving. I mean, Detroit is important, but it is now at least eight, nine percent of the vote for Democrats. It's just not the way it used to be. And so a lot of the votes are moving, frankly, uh, west and northwest. I mean, we're 
I mean, a lot of the stuff, of course, the Lakeshore, Grand Rapids, uh, suburban Detroit in terms of Oakland County, um, those will probably be in earlier than Detroit just because that's how it goes. Um, and then, I don't know, Jeff, in terms of the absentee ballots, what's your expectation on when those get counted or announced? I, I mean, I think we need everybody needs to be on guard against the red mirage. It's going to happen again. Where election day votes uh, from outstate are counted early, and they'll come in, and so you're going to see Republicans looking stronger than they ultimately will be when all the votes are counted and when the absentee ballots are processed. And I really think that's going to happen. So, and so where I where I was would watch, and this is what I was doing on election night in 2020, when. Trump had an early big lead in Michigan by all the returns that were coming in. I was looking at Oakland County and I saw that they had no absentees reported until well into the night. And I knew that Oakland County was going to deliver big margins for Joe Biden. Um, back in, in 2018, when Whitmer was elected the first time, she won Oakland County by about 100,000 votes. I would look look for that margin and look for when when the absentees come in. If the absentees are part of the mix and she's at a 75,000 vote margin, that's a nail biter. If if all the absentees are in, she's at 100,000 margin or or 120,000, that means she's looking pretty comfortable. I would also look do the same thing in Kent County. She narrowly won Kent County, which is where Grand Rapids is. She was the first Democratic candidate for governor only, excuse me, only the second Democratic governor candidate for governor in Michigan's history, uh, going back to the 1850s when Republicans first appeared to win Kent County. If she wins Kent County again, that probably means she's going to win the election. Same goes for Macomb County. Macomb County is uh, looked at, you know, for the last, you know, 40 years as a bellwether. Uh, Whitmer won it. Biden uh, lost it narrowly. If uh, whoever wins Macomb County, uh, provided that they're, uh, uh, those margins that I talked about in Oakland and Kent. I mean, if if so, national observers who are watching this, that's where you should be looking, not just at Macomb. Look at Oakland and Kent. Yeah, I wouldn't look at I wouldn't look at Macomb at all. I mean, I guess my feeling on this is that I feel like this election is going to be a little bit more like 2020 than it is like 2018. And I also um, I agree with the Ohio folks that you had on that I feel like in some ways choice is an issue maybe has peaked a little bit and other economic issues are starting to claw back into folks' consciousness. And so I think, you know, to me, looking at 2020, Biden won by 150 some odd, Peters, who was running for Senate, won by half as much. And then further down on the ticket, we picked up two seats in the state house and we lost two seats in the state house. And so I am hoping that it is a better election night than that. But I don't think this is 2018 again in terms of where we're going on turnout or our um, ultimate result. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I would, I would say, I guess, let me qualify my, my focus on Macomb. If Gretchen Whitmer wins Macomb, that means she's probably been reelected. If she loses Macomb, that doesn't really tell you much. Got it. So what, what if you last, uh, you know, we're in the last four weeks, what can Democrats do? Is there anything to change or, or do you think it's all kind of like the momentum economic abortion, all of it is already, you know, kind of like we're already having the fight. I mean, it's already sort of baked in. Is there anything that the Democrats need to change? Yeah. Or do you think they're, yeah. they're putting up the best fight they can right now? I think they're putting up a great fight. I guess one thing is don't take anything for granted. Don't believe these polls that show double digits. Don't believe that she's going to win, you know, and then bring everyone else with her. Like everyone has to be working up and down the ticket. 
and then complete the entire ballot, including the nonpartisan ballot, which is where the state Supreme Court and the ballot measures are. Some people vote straight party here in Michigan and think they voted for everything. And what they haven't voted for is the ballot measures and the state Supreme Court. And so you have to complete the partisan, you have to complete the ballot, but you also have to complete the nonpartisan ballot. And there is a lot of messaging that frankly needs to go out to folks still. And we've been supporting a lot of it and other folks have is making sure folks understand the importance of the state Supreme Court, where it is on the ballot, how to find it on the ballot and be supportive of that. Well, just in terms of, of, of uh, messaging over the next four weeks, I would say in, in advice candidates, pro-democracy candidates, the Democrats, to not take the Republican bait. The, the focus that we're seeing on crime, the focus that of, of the comments made by Tommy Tuberville and others, uh, you know, this, this very overt racism, they're doing this to get a reaction. They're doing it, one, because they know it plays to their voters, but they're doing it to get a reaction so that we spend time talking and responding to that conversation than focusing on the things that have changed the dynamics of this year's election. And that's the focus on reproductive rights and the focus on democracy. And so if we're if remember what got Democrats to this point in October, uh, when back in May, we couldn't have envisioned that it would it would be like this. Keep talking about the things that got us here. Jeff, Amy, anything else you want to add? We're just about out of time. Yeah, I on the state Supreme Court. One thing I do want to mention is that we have a chance to elect the first African-American woman to the state Supreme Court. And that is an important message and an important representation. And she's a dynamic candidate, uh, Kyra Bolden. So it's like important that that is um, on people's minds and they understand to look for her because it's a nonpartisan ballot. Um, and so I think that that is another way where people, if they want to be active and want to be helpful, they could be supportive of her and make sure that the court has proper representation. Jeff, you got anything? Vote early. You have the ability. Do it. Get it over with. And then donate uh, your time and some money. Uh, make this happen. We we need to win. And by winning and winning with a comfortable margin, not necessarily a landslide, we can change these down ballot races and change the the likelihood or minimize the chances for the Republicans to play screw around in 2024 here in Michigan. And we'll put a show note about the, sec- the excuse me, the Supreme Court race uh, uh, so that you know how to find the candidate and uh, and, and can help. Thanks, Jeff and Amy, for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. We'll be back on Friday, as usual. And please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. Jeff and Amy, where can people find you uh, online or follow you uh, and what you're doing? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Timmer, T-I-M-M-E-R. And on my podcast, which is A Republic, If You Can Keep It, and uh, that's available on Apple and wherever else you might find your podcast. Totally great podcast. You guys should absolutely listen. Um, I am on Twitter, which is where I do my politics, as opposed to Instagram, which is where I post cat videos. So on Twitter, I'm at Amy R. Chapman. Cool. And I can't tell you how much, how highly I think of both Amy and Jeff and, and Alex and I we're really grateful that you both came on and thank you for your insights and hope uh, that, that people again will tune in to the Ohio deep dive that we did last week and keep tuning in every Tuesday when we try to, to get deeper and deeper into these states as we get closer. 
Uh, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to that trippy show at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. See you next time. Thanks again, Jeff and Amy. Bye.